You're listening to the introduction of the new series, Essentials. For more information about the Church at Rutledge, you can visit us online at thechurchatrutledge.org. So good morning, and it's time to go back to school, isn't it? You guys getting ready to go back to school? Will it start this week or next week? Some this week, some next week, a little bit this week, okay, maybe a half a day or something this week. Well, we're going to go ahead and go back to school here at TCAR. We're actually going to start next Sunday uh, through this series of seven messages. And uh, we're going to look at the fundamental beliefs of the Christian according to the Bible. And it's going to be like a going to school and learning some things. And today's just an introduction, and we'll have uh, more classroom training right here on Sunday mornings coming up over the next few weeks. And this is not exhaustive on the Bible of all the doctrine that the Bible teaches, of course, because that's what we do on a regular basis is just teach from the Bible. So, but, you know, that's an ongoing process. But we'll look at the, what is essential to us here at the church at Rutledge. Uh, we have this thing we call Class 101, which is how you join the church at Rutledge and become a member. And in that class, there is a booklet that you get, and in that booklet it lists, because we like to teach people right up front, here's what the church at Rutledge is all about, here's what we believe, Here's how things work here so that you don't walk in and not know what's going on in the church. Uh, a lot of churches, and probably your experience before has been, which is nothing wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. Um, a lot of churches, you just come up and come forward during a service, and they look at everybody and go, uh, such and so, and Derek McCarter has come forward to join the church. And it, basically, to me, what they look at everybody and say is, so does anybody here not like them? Everybody here likes them, Okay. <laughs> You can join the church, okay? And then from there, you kind of figure out from there what in the world really all the beliefs are of the place. And it may be a Baptist church, a Methodist church, Presbyterian, um, church God, you know, whatever kind of church it is you, you grew up in or around. And, and then from there, you start fig, trying to figure out what, you know, really what all the beliefs are and so forth. But so we right up front hand you this book and say, and sit down in a class for like two and a half hours and say, here's all these things we believe, here's what the church is all about, here's how uh, decisions are made, here's what we're trying to do with people and all that stuff. And, and in there is also what's called our essential beliefs. And those essential beliefs are what we're going to cover. Basically, we, you have to agree to say that, yes, according to the Bible, those things are necessary for you to be a Christian and to be a part of our church. And so to be a member, you have to sign your name to those uh, to our church covenant and say, I agree to that stuff and, and believe, I believe that, okay? And uh, so that's class 101. And I'm going to do my best to try to teach those to you here because I think it's important that we understand the basics. And this seven weeks, we'll begin uh, talking about the Bible, the authority of Scripture, and God revealing Himself to us through the written Word. That's next week. Then we'll get into Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the Trinity, and what, you know who God is, and so on and so forth from there. And so now today, I just want to hopefully get you to understand how important this series is. It's just an introduction, and here coming at the end of the service, for those of you who usually hear my message and kind of cut out early, we're going to have a baptism today, and so you'll want to stick around for that because it's, baptisms are always great here. I love just this spiritual marker in people's lives of, yes, I've come to Christ, and this is my first act of obedience after coming to Christ, and or my profession of, to this congregation that I'm with you, and it symbolizes a changed life. Um, so you'll want to stick around for that. But 
I want you to understand how important this series is uh, as we start into it this morning. And if you pay attention, and that's usually part of the problem, if you pay attention, uh, you hear a lot of these kind of things in the world today. You'll hear things like, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it, right? Or you'll hear, you know, it's, it's really all the same. Really, all gods that people talk about are the same, and it's just different ways of understanding Him, but all roads kind of lead to God, pantheistic view. Or the Bible's just a book like any other book. I mean, it's just written by men, nothing special. Or even the church isn't, you know, the church just isn't relevant anymore, and its values are really outdated, right? You'll hear that kind of thing. How do you know what is true, and why do you believe what you believe? Often with teenagers, especially that grow up in the church, it's one of those things of someday you've got to figure out, do you really believe this? Are you just doing it just to get by because it makes it easier, or you're at Kingswood, so it makes it easier if I just go along with this Christian thing? Or is it really what you believe in your life? It changes your life when you do. If someone asks you to explain what makes you a Christian, could you really have a conversation with them about it and explain what makes you a Christian? And we're in a time when people are they're losing their faith, they're carrying around circumstantial faith, as we talked about faith here uh, a few weeks ago. You know, when uh, my faith's great, God, man, everything's good in my life, so God is good, my faith is strong. But when things are really bad, they lose their faith, get mad at God, all of a sudden it's His fault. Or, you know, when it's inconvenient, you know, all of a sudden you go to college or something like that, and the environment's a little different. All of a sudden you go, well, you know, my faith's kind of inconvenient in this environment. I think I'll put it aside for a little while, you know? And you change what you say you believe to be able to do what you want to do. And culture today is killing people by masking false teaching inside of even just entertainment, much less pastors and preachers who get us off track and teach things that aren't biblical, and, and even movies and songs and good books and all that stuff, there is this erosion in culture, and, and it's that erosion, it's a biblical thing. We're told it's going to happen, okay? And, and I'll talk more about that in just a minute, but the erosion is even creeping into the church and causing us to push even some weird, messed up stuff to the masses and to people we know in, a, in maybe a good attempt to try to help them with what they believe, but it can be skewed at times. And um, now here right up front is the part of the message. I'm just going to write up front and get it over with, but I'm going to make a bunch of you really, really mad at me this morning, okay? And I'll just get that out of the way, and you won't listen to anything else I say, so maybe it's a bad time to do it. But yes, I am the prophet crying in the wilderness, okay, that people think is crazy around here, okay? That's fine. I get that. I get that, totally. But... Just, just for example, okay, and I, I hesitate on doing this stuff because I don't want to offend you, I don't want to make people feel bad or, or whatever, but I just, I feel like it's necessary at times to say, hey church, be careful what you get into and, and make sure you know, that's why we're doing this essential series, the basic doctrine so that when you come across stuff, you read it, you go, you know, that's a little bit there's a little twist to that that maybe I shouldn't push this to my friends and to other people and say, hey, this is great, okay? So, but take this, there was a book that came out in 2007 called The Shack, okay? And a lot of you all of a sudden went, <gasps> okay? It's okay. I never could get on board with it, and it's because there were a whole lot of red flags around it, and if you haven't read it, I, I would say don't. It's, there's, it's not something I would 
recommend to people, okay? If you just want to read it now because I said there's problems with it and you want to go through and find out what those are, I'll let you borrow a copy, okay, because I've got it. Now, I've read part of it um, and went through and looked at certain issues that people talked about and read those parts to verify that what, is, what they're saying is true. Um, but there's a guy named Mark Driscoll, and in his doctrine series that he did, he's at Mars Hill Church, Pastor... Uh, it, I'll just read this to you. It says, in his doctrine series, Mars Hill pa Church pastor, Mark Driscoll, he's up in Seattle. I got to go to his church when I went to uh, uh, Caleb's wedding, um, when I went and did it. Um, he criticized the shack for presenting a non-biblical view of the Trinity, including the use of graven imagery, goddess worship, and modalism. The modalism thing, as I started to study about it, really has helped shape my thinking because I used to really... I actually got into modalism of, about the Trinity and Father, Son, Holy Spirit and different forms, one same person, but they are three distinct persons in one. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to that in the, on in this series. But he says, and it talks, and he says that, and an evangelical author, Chuck Colson, wrote a review called Stay Out of the Shack, in which he criticizes the attribution of silly lines to characters representing the three persons of the Trinity and the author's low view of Scripture. Okay, Al, and he's, he's a well-known pastor. Uh, Albert Moeller, which is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, which we are a Southern Baptist church, the church at Rutledge is. Kingswood's uh, non-denominational, and we get along great. And if you're a Christian, you're a Christian. We'll get in later in just a few minutes. It doesn't really matter to me about denomination. But he called the shack deeply troubling on his radio show, saying that it includes undiluted heresy. And then apologist Norman Geisler, co-founder of Southern Seminary in North Carolina, has also weighed in with a critique outlining 14 theological problems with the book, okay? But yet it was endorsed by people like Michael W. Smith, and a lot of other Christians pumped this thing out there, and it was pushed by Christians, and yet there is so much in it that messes with the very essence of who God is. And it can misrepresent Him and get us into thinking that is really a part of other religions and not what we believe. So you have to be very careful, okay? And, and I could go into this very deeply, but I'm not, I'm not going to like go into specifics. But, you know, this whole question of who is God, that's the most important question you can ask. And if you don't get that right, then you're really in trouble, okay? It, I mean, who you think God is, who you believe Him to be, affects every single decision you make and everything in your life. Whether you believe there's not a God, that affects how you think. We, there is, who He is, all of the attributes, characteristics of Him. It affects every part of your life. And so to get that part wrong is the most important part of things that you can mess up, okay? And, and so that's why I want us to be careful. You know, and that kind of thing is masked, it's masked really well and deceptive. But then there are obvious things like, how con I just, maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe I'm getting old, okay? But I don't think so, and I'll show you why in just a minute, okay? But <laughs> did that make any sense? Okay. I'm not going to show you why I'm not old, because I am. I'm going to show you why I think my thinking's correct, if you got that part, okay? Anyway. Um, but there are obvious things, okay, like how Christians can be so into, think, you know, like 
zombies and Harry Potter and vampires and witchcraft and, and, and especially buy into like this whole twilight thing. Now, I told you I was going to make you mad right up front, okay, because there's a lot of people not liking me in this moment, okay? Well, Marty, it's just a movie. Yeah, a demonic movie, okay? And it's got spiritual connotations to it that imply a lot of things that you're feeding yourself, okay? And why would a... Okay, I can understand the masses, okay, but why would a Christian enjoy that? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, if the foundation of what makes you happy is, is God and His holiness and His righteousness stuff, why would... How, and I'm, I'm with you, okay? I'm with you because I watch certain movies. I watch stuff. I'm not saying I'm perfect up here this morning, but I question even myself of how I can sit, and it's our messed up nature, how I can sit and watch something and enjoy that knowing that the very sins it's making fun of or the things it's doing or the warnings come out of Scripture against that, that the very things I'm, I'm watching and yucking it up about, Christ died for. Okay, so that, that's where I just I struggle even within myself to go, are we even as Christians, do we have the right foundation that, you know, even some of the video games we play, not that there's anything wrong inherently with video games, okay, but what is it that makes you happy and that you enjoy? Maybe there's a, a root issue there that needs to be addressed. Is there something inside of you that doesn't at least get uncomfortable with some of the things you watch? Because I'll just be honest, in our culture today and what I watch with teenagers especially and our young people, as long as it's not pornography, we don't shy away from it. It's okay. It's just entertainment. Right? I mean, what, what's wrong with it? Okay? I, a lot of mad faces out there, okay? But it's... it's what, what Does something, if you're a Christian, not make you uncomfortable with it, much less want you to promote that thinking to your preteen or teen child or... You know, when the Bible clear, clearly says to stay away from it, okay? Now, I'm not against entertainment movies or music books or whatever you want to accuse me of being legalistic about this morning. But what we feed our minds really matters. And I just don't think Jesus, were he here, would spend his time going to the movie theater and watching Eclipse, okay? Or Harry Potter or whatever else, okay? And then sell it to other people. I just don't think he would when I read the Bible. I know most of you here don't agree with me on that, okay? It's threatening to you because it's where you go, well, that's where I go, you know, when I get home, I just want to relax and turn on the TV or watch this movie or play this video game or whatever. It, it, not that all those things are bad. I'm just saying to be a little bit particular about what you do watch and what you feed yourself, okay? But, but it's, it's threatening because of where you find your peace and relax and enjoyment and and it's, and it's in movies and entertainment. Okay, I want you to check this out, because this, this really, as I heard Mark Driscoll talk about this, and he's got a 13-year-old daughter, and he got this email, like, best books from Amazon, okay? And he showed this list. I went, interesting. I wonder what it's like around here in East Tennessee, because that's Seattle, okay? So I went to Walmart. Morristown, this is Morristown Walmart. This is not like big city stuff, okay, or whatever. This is Morristown Walmart, okay? And I went in... If you'll show that first book, it says Young Readers. Okay, and I went to the books deal, and I know you can't see all these, but I'm just going to read some of the titles to you anyway. But I don't know if you, you can even, you may recognize some of these things. This is not teen, this is Young Readers, so maybe it's like preteen, I guess. 
So you're talking 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds. These are all, this is the entire, I tried to get the whole thing in there. It's kind of stretched out. But this is the entire, because this was taken on my phone. I know I was standing in Walmart taking pictures of the books and people are walking by going, who's that nut? Okay. Uh, why don't you just buy them, you know, like buy a book and read it. Like, is he going to take a picture of every page and then not have to buy the book, you know? But I just, I went, I took a picture. I'm going to tell you, when I walked up and I stood and there was that row and then there was the teen deal, I started crying in Walmart. And it just killed me. And I went, we've got this far because all of these books are demons and witchcraft and vampires and uh, every bit of it was of underworld, demonic, spiritual, all of them. And that's preteen, okay? Go to the next one, the teen, okay? It's the same way. If you look at vampire doodles and eclipse, I mean, you look at, I mean, I know it's the, the twilight thing, the, the top left corner, the, the lady with the apple. What in the world does that imply? A woman holding an apple, and then you open up the book, and it's my understanding that it starts with Genesis chapter 2 and the whole thing, okay? And then it goes into teaching you about vampires and falling in love with them and them wanting to, they aren't sure if they love you or they want to suck your blood, okay? And you're a teenage girl, okay? I, I don't, but all of these, I mean, teeth right in the middle. It's just all vampire stuff. It's this is, this is our teenagers and our preteens. And we as parents are feeding it to them ourselves. Okay? And I stood and I looked at this and I just cried in Walmart. I got on the phone and called my wife and said, you got, not like she was at home or something. She was in Walmart. You know how to, you call your wife. She's across Walmart. Okay? <laughs> you laugh because you do it too. I know. You know what I'm saying? But I called Nikki and I said, and you have to kind of move to the front half of the store to call her, right? Because you don't get good reception in the back of Walmart. And uh, I called her and I was like, can you got to come look at this? I mean, it was that shocking to me. And, 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 I, and, we, and I stood there and looked and I just couldn't believe it. And if, if you're a Christian and this doesn't hurt your spirit in some way, then something's wrong. I mean, we, and Harry Potter was the precursor to Twilight and all this stuff, okay? And I, I won't even get into how even the, the Twilight series, the spiritual connotations of the lady who was a, or the guy, how Mormonism started with the visitation of the angel, and then the lady that started the whole thing is a Mormon, and she says she had this dream in which she saw this, and so she started to write about it, and as though this is some spiritual thing brought to her, Okay? It's very deeply spiritual, and it's, and it's the erosion of our culture, and it's biblical. And even in the church, we're buying it. And then we wonder, what in the world's wrong with our kids? Right? And the Twilight series, Vampire Diaries, these are all the names of these books, okay? Not all of them, but some of them. Naked City, Sorceress, Original Sin, Demons and Druids, Hereafter, Last Sacrifice, The Eternal Ones, Misguided Angels. Night World, Witch and Wizard, The Gift. All of those books are about teens. I haven't read some of the descriptions of them. And it's about some teenager involved in the occult and vampire and witchcraft and demonic world. 
Here's my question, and you can take that down now, okay? Here's my question. Who do you think put that list together? You're, you're, the Bible teaches us that you're either with God or against God. Now, who do you think made that list of books and put them in Walmart? Do you think God wanted that to be the preteen and teen, young reader list, whatever, at Walmart? Well, keep buying it and feeding it to your children. You know, I'm sorry and I'm not, okay? Because the point is that we get so easily sidetracked because we don't even have, know the foundational truths, much less spend time in a relationship with God where we are spiritually adept enough to combat what culture throws at us. And the world has more influence over us than Christ does. And it's so gradual and slow in our world that we don't even notice it. We just, we just step into it with everybody else. And we just ask the questions about Scripture. What, how, can I do this and still get to heaven? Can I keep my toe in the door of heaven and still get to do all this stuff that the world does? No. Okay? Because that's, that's the wrong question. You've heard me teach this before. It's the wrong question. The question is, I'm a Christian, so what best glorifies God in my life? That's the question. Not can I get away with it scripturally or not. That's the wrong way to approach it. That's starting with yourself. Can I, can I do this and still go to heaven? Which you should start with God and His revelation and what He's given us in Scripture and go, this is what He says, so therefore this is how I live. Okay? You guys are real ticked at me looking, okay? I, I won't be signing autographs after this sermon this morning, okay? <laughs> Not that I ever do. I'm just kidding. But it's so gradual. See, and I heard somebody explain it this way, and this is really interesting. It's, think of it this way. You, you start with a thesis, or here's, here's the idea. And then an antithesis or another idea comes against that thesis. And we're all peaceful and good people, right? So let's compromise. Compromise. Now this is the new thesis, right? So now antithesis comes against it again. Well, that isn't necessarily right. We don't agree with that. Struggle, fight. Okay, let's compromise. Do you see where we're going? And that's the constant tide of culture, and the church just goes right along with it. And, and, and at some point, we've got to figure out and go, wait a minute, now this just, maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. And, and I'm not saying don't watch TV, don't read books, don't play video games, don't hear me say that. I'm just, say, I'm just saying I think even myself should be a little more picky about what I do watch and what games I play and what books I read and what I promote to people because you're promoting something with your life when you go read this book, play this game, watch this movie, okay? And it started back 1,600 years ago, really earlier than that, but I'm just going to give you an example, okay? If the church, Christ dies on the cross, resurrected, Holy Spirit comes to the disciples, and they, the apostles start the first church, and all that takes off, and, and, and all of a sudden, we've got all this new scriptures, it's been written, New Testament comes along, and then the early church starts to go, okay, how do we decipher a lot of this stuff? And what, you know, 1,600 years ago, you know, there was this struggle in the church, 
uh, with what the church should be. And some of you'll know some of this, but if you've been to seminary or maybe studied it on your own. But it's, it, what should the church be? Given Scripture and the claims of Christ, wh- what should we be believing and what should we be doing? Wh- what is Christian beliefs? And in Alexandria, Egypt, one of the churches had a pastor named Arius. Okay? And he had began to raise a fuss in his realm of church and challenged the very character and nature of Jesus that, you know, Jesus was not God, but rather he was created by God and therefore did not pre-exist and was not omnipotent, all-knowing. And, and he went to the highest authorities in his church and to his bishop at that time, and he just starts arguing and arguing and arguing against those things. And his bishop, um, they, he tried to handle the situation, but it totally blew up, okay? So this council was formed and some of you will, may recognize this, but it was the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. They all came together. 300 leaders from the Christian world at that time were brought into what is now modern-day Turkey, basically, and they had this uh, council to talk about these issues. Arius didn't let up, and he came there, and he pressed the issues that Christ was not God, etc., and these 300 guys, uh, leaders, promptly removed him from his position and said that what he was teaching was blasphemy and wrote a creed that did then and still now reflects the essential uh, essentials of the historic Christian faith. And it was, it was very, and that started this process of churches going, whoa, wait a minute. What, is, what does Scripture teach that we have to stand firm on, that we can't sit around and just, this is very serious stuff, and we need to all agree on these things, okay? And so they wrote this, uh, the Nicene Creed, uh, is updated in 381, and then there's all kinds of stuff from there. But it, it says basically this. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and of that which is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten by the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. And then it goes into uh, Christ. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made a man. And was made man. For our sake he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried, and on the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son with the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And that word Catholic doesn't mean the Catholic church as we know it today. That word then meant universal. We believe in one universal body of Christ, okay? And an apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins... We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. That's what they said. Okay? Now, if that were all of us, 
If we had those issues, which we have those issues today of people challenging those very things, it's why you have various sects, cults, religions that go off and, you know, like Jehovah Witnesses that don't believe that Jesus is God and that's, that's the big transitional issue with them is that they insult the very nature of who God is and Jesus is by saying he was created by God and he is not God. And so, but if, if that were all of us at that meeting 1,600 years ago instead of those 300, do you think we would have came up with that heavy debate and the situation they were in, we would have came up with that creed? Could we have done that? Okay. Or would we not be so serious and blow it off and say, oh, we're just being legalistic. Who wants to debate doctrine? And let's just have some pizza and watch a movie and love each other. And these issues don't really matter. I mean, because it's all about love, right? I mean, and it is. It's, it's, love is important. But, but those doctrinal issues are of great importance. And I keep hearing this more and more about how each Generation. I know you guys like to think you're getting smarter because of technology and all that stuff, but the, the going talk is that each generation keeps getting less and less knowledgeable because you're, you don't have to anymore. You've got a little thing in your hand, a little electronic device that you can look up Wikipedia and find out anything you want to find out, so why do you have to know anything? Why do you have to know how to... I mean, if, if the world... If our... The United States became a third world country, which is, it could. You know, if the stock market crashed and 10 years from now, we're all living like third world, world country. Some of you, I mean, you, you, I say this all the time, you younger people are going to be in trouble. There's going to be like Bill Churchill's house and this big camp of young people all the way around it, okay? <laughs> and you'll gladly be eating possum and squirrel and groundhog and <laughs> rabbit and whatever in the world he'll bring you, Okay? Because you won't have a clue how to take care of yourself and find food or do any of that stuff, okay? But it, it's just really, I mean, it's, it, it, you guys, less and less knowledge, why learn anything? And it's especially true of biblical knowledge for Christians. There's all these good teachers, all these great books, there's all this stuff out there and resources and things, and we're becoming more and more biblically illiterate. Y'all just take for granted, you just say whatever, you know. Marty said this, that's what it was, so that's what it is. I'm telling you, don't take my word for it. You better know it yourself. Because I can't walk around with you 24-7 and answer for you. And you need to understand what Scripture says. I might say something that's wrong. I'm not above error. I've had people come to me before and go, you said this, but it's really like this. And I went, dang, you're right. And I have to come back and go, hey, you remember what I said? You know, because I don't know everything. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm reading Scripture and learning just like you are. Okay, and, and it's just, it, okay, it's like, have you ever sang a song, like, for years, and then all of a sudden, like, somebody goes, that isn't what that song says, <laughs> right? Like, you're just singing away, and you know it, you're just loving it, and they go, what'd you say? That's not what that says. And so what do you do? Y'all get together, and you go look it up, and you, they print out the lyrics, and you go, and you find out for yourself that you've been singing it wrong all those years, right? Anybody ever done that? Okay, all right? Like, Mick, I, I'm not going to throw myself, I'm not going to throw myself in that category, okay? I'm going to use my son as an example. Like, me and Nikki and my five-year-old, I have a five-year-old, Cole, and we were in Walgreens the other day, and I'm an 80s prodigy, so I like the 80s music. 
I have to be careful. It captivates me, and I have to be careful, okay? But this song was playing on the radio, and it was a Bon Jovi song. And over the store speakers, and it's just playing. There's nothing we can do about it. We're just in the store, okay? And all of a sudden, it was, it was that song, You Give Love a Bad Name, okay? And, and so Cole begins to sing this song, right? Okay? And here's his version. And he still thinks to this day that's what it says, okay? I'm much happier with him thinking this is the lyrics, okay? But... I, and I couldn't really understand because he's just walking along and he's doing his air guitar, you know, and he's just, and, and we're going through Walgreens and, and I'm going, and I hear something like, a shot in the dark, blah, 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 Attila the Hun is a bad name, okay? <laughs> That's what he's saying. And I thought, the, the kid has seen Night at the Museum a few too many times, okay? He's watched that movie. Um, but that's Cole's version. Attila the Hun, okay, he's shot in the dark, and it's Attila the Hun. That's a bad name, okay? Um, but you've done that, right? And we just let him keep singing. I'm not sure what people thought about his song, but... Um, but you've done that. Why? It was your own interpretation of your experience or what you thought you heard or you heard someone else say or someone else sing it if it's a song but you, you, you had never read the lyrics for yourself, so you didn't know. You know what you're singing. Same with the Bible. Did you know that 50%, half of all Christians, believe that the Bible says, according to Barna Research, that the Bible says God helps those who help themselves? I'll let you go look that one up. Let me know when you find it, okay? He also stated in his research, like, you guys are like, I thought that was in there. It is in there, isn't it? Okay, maybe you'll read your Bible when you go home, okay? He also stated in his research that half of born-again Christians, this is like not just people who claim to be evangelicals. This is born-again Christians, okay? These people are half of born-again Christians. I is one, okay? Also deny the, half of, half of them, deny the existence of the Holy Spirit and Satan. Now, let's look at a few scriptures that got your attention, I think. As we begin this series, turn to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, and I'm going to speed up here. Paul is writing to Timothy, and who is it? Timothy's a young preacher, prodigy of, you know, Paul's brought him up, and he's mentoring him. And, and this is special stuff. When I hear Paul, like, addressing the church or talking to Timothy, I love it, or Titus, you know, as we'll talk about here in just a minute. When I see that stuff, I get excited because I'm like, I'm kind of a young preacher. I was at one time, and I'm, I'm still kind of there, and I don't know everything. So I, when Paul says, teach this, do that, in the church you should do this, when he gives direction to the church, I love it. Like when he says to remind those in this present age, remind those who are rich in this present age, present age to do more and give more, I take that literally. So sometimes I get up here and I go, hey, we're in America. All you guys sitting in here, you're rich. You're going to eat several meals today. You've got a place to live. You're rich, according to the world. Do more, give more. I take it literally what he says, that I'm, I'm supposed to remind you to do that. And when he says, teach these things, do these things, I take it very personally, okay, which, which I think I should, okay? So in, in here, he's writing to Timothy and telling him some things to do, and he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses... Um, like one through eight, okay? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, 
who will judge the living and the dead. You heard that in the, Cre- the Nicene Creed we read a minute ago. They got that stuff out of the Bible, okay? And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. So he's saying, Timothy, I'm charging you with this to do this, okay? Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, I'm not being very careful this morning, but I'm giving you the instruction, okay? I really am. I'm just kidding. Uh, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. The King James Version says fables. It's only a movie. It's just entertainment, right? But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am ready, already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I've held firm to what I believe. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That gets you a question in there of going, do you long for his appearing? Are you enjoying life on earth too much? I want us to grasp this morning the concern that Paul had at the time and that this is the same concern in church today. Always has been. God knows it's going to be this way in this world. That is that people, he's, he's concerned that people know the truth. Paul wanted Timothy to preach the words to the congregations he led would know the word, know the truth. Jude said the same thing, warning about unsound teaching, false doctrine. In Jude 1, uh, Jude chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, in your bulletin, that's wrong, it says 13, 4, I think, okay? That's what I get for putting that in there late last night, okay? It's 1, 3, and 4, okay? It says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, (coughs) I felt compared to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign Lord. What, what is our faith we contend for? What is the truth? It is what Paul said to Timothy up there in verse 2, the Word, to preach the Word. He told him to preach the Word, Scripture. Not your own opinion, not what the church elders tell you to. That's not what I preach. But the Word. That's, you know, not based on some denomination or whatever church you come from or because I'm Baptist and you're something else. What does the Bible say? That's one of two reasons why we don't put Baptist in the name of our church, because it's not the big deal, okay? And I can walk away from Baptist, but I'm not walking away from the Bible, okay? 
But it's important, and I, I am a Baptist because not that they believe anything I don't think is wrong or of errors. That's, I go with that, and I love to cooperate and support missionaries around the world with other churches, and we can get a lot more done together than we can separated. That's why I don't care what denomination you're from. If you're a Christian, we can work together, okay? That's why we get along great here, me and Bryce, Kingswood School, because it's not the issue. The Bible's the issue, okay? And, and so it's what the Bible declares the church to be, and what we are to be and believe is what we go by. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15, Paul says it again. This speaks directly to what I'm to be doing and why this series is so important. I take this seriously. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, literally doctrine, okay? And I'll explain that word doctrine in a little bit because it's got negative connotations to it. Just like when women hear submissive, they go, you know, get all, I don't know about that, you know, okay? But don't get upset about that word. It's, it's a biblical term, doctrine, okay? And by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. The cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. There's always somebody standing there when you get away from the truth wanting to hand you something. Walmart shelves are full of it, okay? <clears throat> I don't think we'll be getting any large gifts from the Sam Walton Foundation anytime soon, okay? But it's okay. I'm not, Walmart's not good or bad. I'm just saying there's something going on there in that bookshelf. In Titus, which is another letter to another young preacher that Paul was raising up, he begins telling him why he left him on the island of Crete, which was to teach proper doctrine because there needed to be elders trained to lead the people in truth since there were so many people trying to deceive people for their own gain. So after saying that in chapter 1, and he says it in chapter 1 too, he says it again in chapter 2, Titus 2, 1 says, you, however, talking to him, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Now you keep hearing that word doctrine in the scriptures, we've read it, so, and, and a lot of people hate that word, okay? Don't know why, but it's just a word that means instruction or teaching. That's all it means, Okay? So in Second Timothy, for instance, verse 16, it says, but it's, it's the word, it, 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 it says teaching in there, is what you probably read in your version, but it's the word doctrine in other translation and is the more accurate word, <clears throat> okay? Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Now I'm moving fast now, you may not keep up to me, with me on all these, that's why I list them in your bulletin. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, useful for doctrine, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, okay? Even though it's a biblical term, there are Christians who have negative feelings about that word when they hear that and they don't want to discuss it or they think, I heard one guy say, you know, church doctrine is just, that's just all man-made stuff. When I hear doctrine, I'm out of there. I don't like that, okay? And I know some of what they're thinking and, it, and it's okay, but it's a misunderstanding of just we're not trying to make up rules and be legalistic. And the Pharisees, as you've seen, there's been church leaders since the dawn of time that have misused and misguided people and used um, 
what people thought was sound teaching to, to get them to do things that weren't biblical, okay? So I understand the pushback from that. I'm not in, but, and though it's, it's man-made, it's not, you know, it's as, as though it's man-made and sinful, and it's not, okay? But Paul was very serious about it. How many of you get a gadget or a new toy, and your kid gets something, and you have to put it together, and you get a huge manual with it, and what do you do? Do you read it? Guys? No. You ain't going to read that thing. It's in four different languages, okay? I'm not even going to read the English part, Okay? With guys, this starts real, just real young, okay? So, ladies, so you know, so you understand this, okay? When I got my, I, I had a friend that had the, the Lego King's Castle. His name was Scott Hancock. When I was up in Indianapolis, best friend through middle school. I was best man at his wedding. We just, I, man, we did everything together, okay? He got a Lego King's Castle. I had to get one, okay? So, I get this thing and, it, and went to putting it together, and it came with this big book, step by step. How, you think I looked at that thing and went, I'm going to put this together one piece at a time according to what this thing. No, I thought, there's a picture of it. I started putting the thing together. And you know what happened when I got it together? The guys would go, I'd be proud of you. You probably had some parts left over, you know. I did, but, you know, the drawbridge didn't work. The platforms the guys stand on weren't even and doors didn't work and, it just, it didn't, it wasn't right. It even looked kind of terrible, okay? So what did I have to do? I took this whole thing apart and went back to the manual and I put it together step at a time so it would look like my friend Scott so that it would look like what it's supposed to look like and everything would work, right? And I, and I never took it apart again, okay? It stayed together in my room. Now I'm all, it's, it's actually at my parents' house all in pieces. And I don't know if all the pieces are there, but... It got passed down, okay? This is my concern for, for you, is that the manual for your life is being more and more disregarded in the church and by the church. And there are people trying to tickle your ears and say what you want to hear and sell you stuff and tell you how if you have enough faith, you'll be, you know, you'll prosper health-wise and wealth-wise and otherwise tickle your ears with false doctrine. There are people that teach that they, there's people that teach that if it just feels right, that's more important than truth. As long as it feels good, it has to be right. Who cares about doctrine? So we, we've ended up coming up with, with up-and-coming and existing generations of people who are long on zeal, but short-winded on, on facts and perseverance. Really enthusiastic, but hazy about what to be doing and what their character should be. All excited young people, but short, short-winded on the whole thing because they don't, they don't have the proper teaching. Hosea 4.6, God says to the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. You think doctrine is important? Given what the Bible says, it's essential. Ignorance is not bliss, it's dangerous, okay? Jesus rebu rebuked the religious leaders of his time four times for not knowing Scripture. He, he, he said, have you, not, have you not read what Moses wrote? I mean, could you imagine Jesus looking at these guys and going, didn't, didn't, don't you know Scripture? What's wrong with you? 
Paul was serious about this, about his people knowing the word. I want to be a pastor of the best fed church this side of the Mississippi and the other side if possible. Okay? That, that you are loved, yes, but that you are fed. And we're intentional and given our strategies and teaching here, it's your fault if you're not, if you're not taking this in. Okay? I, I will give my account that I did my part in how I led this church to feed people. You've got to do yours, though. It's why we do what we do here and give attention to the context and relevancy and you know, the background of the text and try to teach all the parts of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. And it's why we do home teams the way we do it. It's very strategic in saying, we want you to know this and talk about it and live it and do it. You, you know why Harvard University was founded? You know what their founding statement was? So that the churches of the area would not be spiritually illiterate because their pastors died off and their churches didn't know what to do at that point. They didn't know Scripture well enough to keep going. And so that, so that it would erode the teachings in the churches. So they started Harvard University to train these guys to lead churches. That's why, how, why it was founded. I want to teach you so that you can teach the next generation, including your kids, to know the truth and live by it, to do it. John said, I love this verse. I found this last night and I went, oh, that's awesome. That's like, I love this, okay? In John, in 3 John 1, 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That, that just drives me. When people get baptized this morning, it excites me. Why? Because there's some people that have chose to start walking in the truth and they're doing it. Okay? Do you know the Word? Unless you know the essentials, you don't have a foundation to build on so that the rest of your learning will stand up. You know, and so we want to teach those things here. And so when the cultist walks up or bicycles up or whatever they do, whichever, knocks on the door, can you stand firm in your conversation and defend the deity of Christ? I want you to be able to do that. In 2 Timothy 4.3, it said, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. There's this old story about a farmer who had a mule, and because of the high prices of oats, he starts to substitute sawdust and for some of the oats. And as the price got higher and higher, he substituted more and more oats until he was feeding this mule all sawdust. And by the time the mule ate enough sawdust to f- satisfy itself, he was dead from it. When you reject the nourishing Word of God and substitute error bit by bit, and you think it doesn't hurt, and you may not even recognize it right away because it will be mixed with some truth, it'll eventually kill you. You are what you eat, even spiritually. Okay? And if all you eat is the world's food through movies, books, entertainment, you'll be as weak as they are. Sound doctrine is healthy doctrine. Why would people turn away from that? Sound doctrine rebukes our ungodliness. That's why we don't like it. Jesus said men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their evil deeds are exposed then you have to deal with it. Therefore, anyone who lives contrary to sound doctrine hates Bible teaching. They will not enjoy it at all. 
they'll resist it. And when you reject the truth, there's always somebody standing by to hand you a lie, the latest and greatest lie for a substitute. You see it all the time. I do. People who get excited, they start reading their Bible a lot. They come to everything and they, to get, they learn and go to every Bible study we've got. They're at every event we've got. They do all this stuff. They get involved, put what they know into practice. And then their spiritual appetite becomes spiritual apathy all of a sudden. And we've, we have this nature about us that is a built-in resistance to the truth. I, and I know if I said this, because you, you, a lot of you are looking at your watches, okay? And this is going to be a long service today, okay? I know a lot of you are worried about lunch and that kind of stuff. This is a good point for us today, okay? Uh, I know that if I said, okay, let's put more music in the service, Cut back on the preaching, do more video and drama, more and more announcements, a lot of special stuff, and I'll just preach 20 minutes. Just for me to say that got some of you all excited. You got so excited, okay? The less I preach and the more other stuff we put in, in the more you would like it, right? <laughs> Liar. Okay. The altar will be open at the end for those who'd like to come forward and repent. Okay. Now, really, I mean, pe- people would say that's okay. If I just did that without asking, you know, just said, Derek, we're going to do three or four more songs next week. I'm just going to preach about 15 minutes. People would walk out of here going, that was the best service. Oh, man, that was so good. Right? Got the Golden Corral before the Methodists. Man, it was the best Sunday ever. <laughs> Okay, it, it, but if, if we, I mean, really, but if we put in more doctrinal teaching, preaching, took out a song or two, I'd have a riot on my hands. Y'all would string me up, for real. And some of you think about going somewhere else. People wouldn't go for it. I, how can, and I understand, and I bring my friend, and they don't go to church, and we want you to enjoy, and them not sit there and go, you know, and fall asleep, and whatever it is that happens, okay? I, I get that, and that's why I try to be sensitive to that. But I also feel a responsibility I hope you're getting this morning. In Jeremiah chapter 5, it says, in verse 30 and 31, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. And my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? I hope you will develop a desire for the truth, even the parts, especially the parts you don't like. Right? And I understand there's, my biggest concern is there's kids back here, and i got adults locked up with your kids for uh, like an hour and a half, two hours, okay? So that's my greatest concern, Okay. One statistic I saw, and I don't believe it's high, but it said that only 25% of born-again Christians say they read their Bible every day. And you know some of them are lying. I mean, because you, you, if you were asked, do you read your Bible every day? There's some of you that would lie to save face and go, I'm, I'm a good Christian. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. Yeah, I read my Bible every day. Isn't that ironic, a Christian lying about reading the Bible? Okay? It's kind of funny. But 57% said they only read it at church. And most don't bring it to church, so I don't see that happening too much here. But maybe the, they mean the pastor reads it to them, okay? The calling of the church is to know the truth, believe the truth, love the truth, teach the truth, speak the truth. 
The results of this, if, if this happens, it's amazing. I'm so excited I'm, I can see spit coming out of my mouth, okay? This is, this is amazing, okay? I've turned one into one of these preachers with a cup of water and a handkerchief here in a minute. But it's, it's just like, it's just amazing, okay? If the, the results, if this were to ha- if we do this, okay? The first result is of just of salvation. People hear the truth, sound doctrine. The Holy Spirit gives you, an, gives you an understanding and pulls you towards God. Do you feel that? Do you, you feel just this pull? Just this, it's just, it, some of you, it's a nervousness. It's a, it's a weight. It's like, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I just, I, I know God's for real. I understand this is the truth. And I'm just, you're so resistant to it, but you feel that pressure. That's the Holy Spirit pulling you towards God. And that's the result of sound teaching from the Bible and, 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 it, and, and the Holy Spirit giving you understanding of it because God wants you to know Him, okay? And if you yield to it and give your life to God through Jesus Christ, it changes you forever. It changes your attitude and your behavior and other people notice it. Then it brings joy to your life. Truth is not boring. Some people work hard to make it boring. But it isn't. It's exciting. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you bored. Right? It'll make you free. When you grasp the teachings of God through His Word, it's liberating, and it pulls you out of bondage and the sins and habits and addictions that control your life. And what's better than that? I mean, to know God and to be set free from, from all that stuff. You can't help but get excited about it if, you, if you've had that, Right? And, and you long for your next step with God and the places He takes you, and, and it hurts at times when you see how broken you can be, but then you step out of that darkness and there is love and acceptance and forgiveness and renewing, and you know how great it can be to walk with God. And as you, as not only you learn the Word and what it says, but you begin to do it. And it forms a lens through which you view everything that happens around you and to you. And it gives you a different worldview. A view that gets you through tough times with a sense of joy. It protects you and gives you victory in spiritual battles. You won't be a victim of your own feelings when you embrace this. Your own feelings and hurts. My fear, and one of the reasons we started this church, is that people, I felt like just people are being deceived Walk an aisle, pray a prayer, get your fire insurance, you're going to heaven, you're great, now just enjoy life, do whatever you want to. You prayed the prayer, you're okay. False sense of security. I, don't, I, I want people to stand before God and not regret their life. Because they, even just because they were deceived. I don't, I don't want you to get the end of your life and realize you blew it standing before God. When I say that I hope you develop a desire for God's Word, it's more than me wanting to give you a moving sermon. Very valid to preach, as I have said and you've seen in the Word. It's you wanting to read it yourself, though. That's a good way to recognize false teaching, by the way. Someone tells you, just, now you need to just listen to me, only me. Don't listen to other people. Don't read things for yourself. Don't do anything. You need to just pay attention to me because everybody else is wrong. Okay? Don't just believe it because I said it or Billy Graham said it or whoever it is, but because you know it's in there. 
You go read it afterwards. Too. That's why I give you that bulletin. Take that thing home. Look up all those scriptures if I put them in there right. Okay? And, and read it. Check it out. May the student surpass the teacher. Right? If we teach sound doctrine, then we don't have to start a Harvard around here. I'm going to close with this. In the British Weekly, a letter was published about the preaching ministry of pastors. Here's a letter a guy eventually wrote. Dear Sir, it seems ministers feel their sermons are very important and spend a great deal of time preparing them. I have been attending church quite regularly for 30 years, and I have probably heard 3,000 of them. To my consternation, not sure what that means, I discovered I cannot remember a single sermon. I wonder if a minister's time might be more profitably spent on something else. Okay, and all these letters start rolling in, some for that, some against it, and debating. And eventually there was this one letter that finished the conversation. The storm of editorial responses ensued, ending with the following letter. Dear Sir, I've been married for 30 years. During that time, I have, he- I have eaten 32,850 meals, mostly per- my wife's cooking. Suddenly, I've discovered I cannot remember the menu of a single meal. And yet, I have the distinct impression that without those meals, I would have starved to death a long time ago. You get that? The point isn't remembering all the sermons, but rather does that sermon add to your worldview and you end up doing something with the truth. These bulletins we give you is to maximize that learning experience. It's not just for phone numbers to pass to each other and pass notes during the sermon. Go back and look up the verses and apply them and check it out yourself. Study to show yourself approved by God. I'm looking forward to the next few weeks we'll have in class to help you do that. Let's pray. Father.